Well, hi there, folks. I'm Dara Star Tucker, and this is The Breakdown. Well, I'm so glad to be back with you again this week to talk about the issues that matter. You can find me on Instagram at Dara Tucker B and on all other social media platforms at Dara Star Tucker. That's Dara with one R and Star with two. I'd also love to meet you on the KJLH Instagram page at Radio Free KJLH. That's Instagram at Radio Free KJLH. And remember, you can also listen to me anytime on the KJLH app. Download the app on your favorite platform and take us with you wherever you go. I love it when these topics incite conversation, they incite debate, they incite deep thought and discussion. That is the goal. That's the objective, that we can have conversations about these topics in ways that hopefully enrich us all and help us to think more deeply about these subjects. And what are we talking about today? We are talking about a topic that gets, I would say, a lot of older folks fired up. I think those of us who are Gen X, what they would call Gen X and older probably, get a little more fired up about this topic than anybody else. And that topic is cancel culture. Cancel culture. You hear cancel culture decried far and wide as though it is something that we all detest, we despise it, can't stand cancel culture until something that we feel should be canceled gets canceled. And then we're all for it. Well, my theory about this is that there are very few people or very few things that ever really are truly canceled. I think cancel culture has been hyped up quite a bit in our society. It's a buzzword. It's a hot topic. It's something to rail against. But I think it's pretty overblown. That's just my perception. I don't think a lot of folks or a lot of things are ever truly canceled. So I want to start off by playing a breakdown that I recently did on the topic of cancel culture. How are we to perceive of this as people who want to fight for the underprivileged, people who want to fight for the marginalized? I'm going to play this episode of the breakdown that I did on cancel culture, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about it. Here it is. Cancel culture, am I right? It's the scourge of the modern era. You can't say anything anymore without a band of left-wing liberals threatening to shut down your livelihood with their bully tactics. It's like they don't even... Huh? What? What is this? What? People who've been canceled by the right. Amy Grant, the Dixie Chicks, Barney, Colin Kaepernick, Liz Cheney, Ellen DeGeneres, the Teletubby. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, thank you. Thanks for that. Everyone claims to hate so-called cancel culture until a band or a public figure does something to piss them off. Then suddenly they're putting out calls to ban and boycott everything from the Barbie movie to Cracker Barrel of all things. No, we all love cancel culture when it suits our purposes. Now, for the record, I don't believe cancel culture really exists, at least not in the way that most people claim that it does. What we do have is something akin to outrage culture, pile-on culture, groupthink culture, but when's the last time anyone was actually canceled? I mean, most of us barely have the follow-through to sign a change.org petition or call our state representatives. We can barely keep track of who's been canceled, and we're certainly too selfish to change our buying habits for very long at all. Convenience culture is really the only winner here. But it occurs to me that regardless of how hypocritical these calls to end cancel culture may be, the idea of roundly dismissing public figures when they engage in wrongdoing might be doing our culture more harm than good. 
Now, firstly, let's just take criminality out of the mix. That's a different discussion. And I also don't want to include behavior that's abusive, pathological, or unethical to the point that it borders on illegality. No, I'm talking about regular old human foolery. Someone says the wrong thing, or they say the right thing in the wrong way, or they didn't speak out quickly enough, or they said too much, whatever. The scandal hits. Cue the embarrassment and shaming and the public apology. I don't believe it, we say. I don't believe it for one second. They're not apologizing because they're sorry. They're apologizing because they got caught. And maybe so, maybe they are. So we assign them the scarlet letter and they roam the highways and byways shouting unclean for a thousand eternities. Or maybe they suffer no real consequences at all. But there has to be a better way of holding public figures accountable for wrongdoing. So-called cancel culture is, at its heart, an overcorrection to a legitimate issue. People in high places have been hiding behind their money and unchecked power from time immemorial. We've all grown up in an era where politicians, preachers, and Ponzi scheme dealers have concealed their dirty deeds with zero consequences. It's maddening. But it occurs to me that we wouldn't have a need for so-called cancel culture if we were willing to embrace redemption culture. But there can be no such thing as redemption culture without atonement culture. But you can't have atonement culture without repentance culture. And we can't have repentance culture without contrition culture. And we really don't know anything about that. In fact, I would wager to say that most people watching this video could not provide a working definition of most of those words. I mean, not to go all Andy Rooney on you all, but those concepts are simply not relevant in our current age. So instead of contrition, repentance, atonement, and redemption, we default to cancellation because that's all we understand. It's a cheap substitution, but it'll do. Until we're the ones in need of redemption, of course. But that could never be us, right? We say and do all the right things and take all the right positions and curry all the right favor with all the right people. Or at the very least, we know how to keep our mouths shut, hopefully. So-called cancel culture still exists because it serves a need. Ultimately, we desire justice, but it's my hope that we and our collective conscience will begin to cultivate an equal desire for truth and for mercy. And I, I maintain that I don't believe true cancel culture really exists any differently than it really did when we were coming up. The only difference now is that we're able to mobilize around certain topics, for instance, the Me Too movement. I think it helped to be able to have conversations out in the open. People were not realizing that they had all been through the same thing until someone else started to speak up. And then suddenly you have a lot of stories that are all corroborating the same type of behavior and the same type of victimization. So I think in a case like Me Too, so-called cancel culture can have a very positive impact. As a matter of fact, I think the only times that cancel culture has truly lived up to its name is when it has impacted people that have engaged in truly criminal activity. People that are either in jail now or should be in jail. And I'm talking about names like Harvey Weinstein, Bill Cosby, Louis C.K. And even in the case of Louis C.K., that man still has a career. In most cases, the people that we claim have been canceled, they really just kind of go on and live their lives and do their thing when you really think about it. Especially people who have careers like the type of career that the comedian Louis C.K. did. He doesn't have an employer. Literally, the only people that have to like what he does are his fans. So as many calls as there were for Dave Chappelle to be supposedly canceled, that man's career is thriving. He's about to do another Netflix special. He's producing Netflix specials. He's not canceled. But why has cancel culture emerged? Who does cancel culture serve? Well, I think cancel culture has emerged in this generation, specifically millennials and younger, because there is a true emphasis on justice and on believing victims. We focus much more, I think, these days 
on victims, stories, believing the marginalized, fighting for people who have been pushed to the edges of society. And I think ultimately that is a positive thing. Now, the question is, are we overcorrecting? You hear the complaint a lot, especially from people who have to do public speaking, comedians, people in media, that they can't say anything. They can't say anything without getting in trouble. But I think when you begin to ask substantive questions around whether or not this has true consequences for people, I think it's a bit of a harder case to make that true cancel culture exists. I think there's a lot more chatter. There's a lot more conversation around this stuff. These people are derided much more often often in spaces like Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and Facebook, those conversations are being had. But when you look at the careers of a lot of these people who have dealt with a lot of backlash around things that they've said or done, I'm not seeing a lot of evidence that these people's careers have truly been negatively affected in the long term. And oftentimes, as I'm going to talk about a little later on, their careers are actually boosted because the people that want to rally in favor of them, they're much more fired up to support them than they even were before out of fear that this person would be canceled. But the question we really have to ask is, does cancel culture, so-called cancel culture, serve anyone? Are victims, are marginalized people better off because public figures fear cancellation? I think victims can and do benefit if public figures have the perception that their careers will be negatively impacted if they say or do the wrong thing. So yes, I think victims are ultimately better served in a society where there are consequences to actions and the perception that cancel culture is a real thing does ultimately help victims. You hear a lot of that talk and you hear a lot of that bluster about ending people's careers that's a very hard thing to do, but I think in most cases where that kind of thing is threatened, I think it's an overcorrection. I think in the case of someone like Dave Chappelle, who made some comments, who made remarks that were offensive to the LGBTQ community, should that have meant the end of Dave Chappelle's career? Well, clearly it did not mean that his career was over, but should it have been? I don't think so. I think statements like that open up the door to be able to have conversation around certain things. And I think it's also a tricky thing for a comedian to walk back something that they have said. I think that sets kind of a dangerous precedent. Comedians have to be able to shoot from the hip in order to do what they do. They have to be willing to say things that are generally not socially acceptable to say, especially a comedian like Dave Chappelle, who has built his whole career on being edgy. So do I think that people should be able to take something that a comedian says on stage and translate that into real world consequences and ending that man's career? No, I can't get behind that. I don't agree with that. Do I agree with everything Dave Chappelle said in his specials? No, I don't. But I think it's also the job of a comedian specifically to air certain things out in the culture, things that people are thinking about, whether they be right-minded or wrong-minded. I think a comedian has a responsibility to learn how to bring humor to all of it. And there are plenty of comedians out there that are expressing points of view that I do not agree with. Do I feel like they should be shut down and canceled because their points of view are unsavory? No, I don't. I think the standard for comedians, to be frank, is are you funny? If you're funny and if you can figure out a way to deliver that material in a way that cuts through all of the noise, to some degree, you've earned your keep. And then we have to let the marketplace decide. But that's their chosen profession. That's their career. Everybody ain't a comedian and everybody can't get away with saying what a comedian would say. If you are a politician, 
we judge you by a different standard. We just do. If you're a social commentator, if you're somebody whose job it is to influence public opinion, you're being judged by a different standard than a comedian is. A comedian's job is to be funny. And ultimately, if they can make their audience laugh, I feel they should be protected, even if I don't agree with what they're saying. Now, in the case where you have someone who is not a comedian, who is not speaking from that point of view, but who is expressing real world sentiments, and they slip up and let it be known that they believe something or have said something that is totally unacceptable. How should that be handled? Well, there are two different examples that I want to point to. And we want to do kind of a contrast and compare between two white male country singers, one of them being Jason Aldean, who came out with a song called Try That in a Small Town. And the other singer being a guy named Morgan Wallen, who slipped up and said something that he shouldn't say. Now, in both of these cases, you had people calling for their cancellation and people felt like their careers should come to an end. So in Morgan Wallen's case, this happened a few years ago. He is a country singer that had at that time, not a massive career, but someone took a video of him. It was nighttime. He was in his own neighborhood. He was drunk and he was outdoors with several friends of his and he yells out the N word. And this is caught on video because the neighbor was upset at how much noise they were making and they just started filming them. Morgan Wallen slips up and says the N-word while he's drunk. Well, he had an appearance that was scheduled to happen on Saturday Night Live. Once this video got out of him saying the N-word, and this is a young guy just starting his career out. Once this video got out, Saturday Night Live immediately canceled his appearance. There was outrage all over Twitter. People were very upset about this, many of whom did not even know who Morgan Wallen was. But hey, well-known country singer slipping up and saying the N-word, this guy's got to go. And of course, immediately all of the conservative folks popped up in his defense and said, well, he was just drunk. He didn't know what he was saying. He, of course, came out and said, well, this is not something I would normally ever say in real life. It just sort of slipped out and, and I was drunk and please understand it. Uh, he still lost the opportunity to appear on Saturday Night Live, but he just recently won a couple of CMA awards. He's now one of the princes of country music. His career is thriving and doing better than ever before. I think one factor in this is the fact that he came out and immediately said, I apologize for this. This is not in character for me, whether or not that's actually true. This is an aberration. I don't use this kind of language. I don't believe in this at all. Please forgive me. And I think Morgan Wallen coming out and saying that in that way, again, we don't know what's in this man's heart, but him coming out and saying that in that way, I think opened the door for a lot of people to say, hey, he's a young dude. He was probably 23 or something at the time. He's a young dude. He made a mistake. He, he was drunk. He did something wrong. He apologized. Let's get past it. And then we have the case of Jason Aldean, who sang a song called Try That in a Small Town. And he came out with a music video that accompanied this. And this is probably six months ago. He had the internet in an uproar over this song and this video. And the video really seemed to zone in on this idea of Black Lives Matter protests. It was very clear what they were attempting to depict. Don't come to a small town disrespecting cops and thumbing your nose in the face of law enforcement or trying those protests here and getting out of order 
and being unruly. If you try that in a small town, just wait. We're going to be waiting for you at the county line with our guns. And I've got my granddaddy's gun. There was all this sort of blustery language there that said, if you come to my town and try any of this big city stuff, uh, we're coming after you. And this evoked some imagery and some history around sundown towns. I'm sure we all know what those are. Those are towns, small towns in the United States where black people were not safe after sundown. They knew you got to get out of the city before the sun goes down or you don't know what might happen to you. So there was a lot of this imagery and a lot of this talk. And then the music video came out and a lot of that imagery evoked the Black Lives Matter protests. And it all just not so subtly pointed to the idea of marginalized groups coming to small towns and being shown what small town justice is really all about. Kind of that wild, wild west, Dukes of Hazard mindset. It depicted protesters as being unruly, as being unlawful, flagrantly disobeying the law, people being super disrespectful to law enforcement. And that's the narrative that's being portrayed by and large on the right. We all come to this viewing experience of the Jason Aldean video with the knowledge that that is the perception of what protesters are all about when they say Black Lives Matter. Oh, you're burning down your cities. If the Black Lives Matter protests had not happened in 2020, we would not be seeing this video from Jason Aldean. That's an absolute certainty. So the idea that this video had nothing to do with Black Lives Matter protests, I think is super insulting. But his assertion was, oh, this isn't about black people. I don't I don't have any idea why anyone would perceive it that way. We weren't necessarily showing black people in the music video, even though the language in the song was super sundown towny. This supposedly had nothing to do with race. And to add to that, he and his band filmed this video in front of a courthouse in Columbia, Tennessee, where a lynching had happened of a black man. So it was hard for a lot of folks to accept that this was not an intentional referencing of America's racial past. Now, were any of these racial references intentional on the part of Jason Aldean or his team? We will never know. I got a little flack for being willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. We have no idea whether Jason Aldean or his team knew the significance of that courthouse where the video was filmed, but it was important for me to get past the question of whether or not they knew and ask a more important question underneath. And that question is, once you know, once you find out that something that you have done has evoked a very harmful time in America's past, then what is your response? That's my question. Once someone brings that to your attention, Jason Aldean and team, what is your response? And his response was simply to say, well, that has nothing to do with what the music video was about. We were simply wanting to evoke themes of faith and family and small town people looking out for each other. And the idea that that was the intent of this song or this music video, when you see all of the violent imagery that was shown in this video and the obvious hostility with which he and his team view people who are fighting for social justice in this world, that's a really hard pill to swallow. I just did not buy it. And a lot of people didn't buy it from him. So in the case of someone like Jason Aldean, when he did find out and it was brought to his attention that something that he had done came off very offensively to several marginalized groups, in his case, he did not come out as Morgan Wallen did and say, I'm sorry, you know, this was unintentional. I didn't mean to do this. I'm really sorry to anyone that I may have offended with this. Absolutely not. His people rallied behind him and he got a ton of press out of the situation and he came out on top. So in my estimation, the backlash that Jason Aldean received over that music 
music video and song was well earned. Now, did it represent a cancellation? No, Jason Aldean's career is thriving. He was probably able to buy another Porsche with the money that he got from that song. So anyone who would use a controversy like that to claim that cancel culture is a problem is not looking at the big picture at all. Jason Aldean's career is thriving, as is Morgan Wallen's. And for those who would say, well, the rules are different for black and white people, I don't necessarily think so. I mean, look at Dave Chappelle. There were a lot of people who were really upset over what Dave Chappelle had to say. And there was a point at which I thought maybe this represented the beginning of the end of Dave Chappelle's career has not happened at all. Even Tiffany Haddish, who, yes, went through a very difficult time in the wake of some accusations that were made about some content that she produced with a minor that came off as inappropriate. Tiffany's back working. I'm starting to see projects pop up with Tiffany in them. I think the idea is that you just wait for the smoke to clear out. You wait for the heat to die off. And a lot of these people eventually do get back to work. Michael Jackson, his music is as popular as ever. You would think by this point with as many accusations as are flying and swirling. And now we are getting into the territory of possible illegality, even though these are things that have not been proven. But just the rumors sometimes can be enough to affect people's careers with Michael Jackson, it has not been. Has it affected his reputation with a lot of folks? Yes, it has. Has it affected the ability of his estate to continue to make money off of his name? No, it has not. And for a long time, R. Kelly seemed to be impervious to cancel culture. None of the accusations seemed to matter until that miniseries hit and all of a sudden public opinion changed. But you and I both know plenty of folks who still rock with R. Kelly. His fans are going to be his fans. People who love his music are probably still going to rock that stuff at the cookout. It does not matter to some people. When R. Kelly gets out of prison, he'll probably still be able to sell out shows. And that's just how it is. Cancel culture where? That's my question. Cancel culture seeks to enact justice. So this is maybe an extreme overcorrection to something that people desire deep down in their hearts, which is justice, which is advocacy for victims, which is accountability for wrongdoing. These are things that we should desire. Now, is cancel culture the best way to address those things? I don't think so. I think we have to learn to start embracing things like redemption, atonement, repentance, contrition. Are you as a public figure or a private figure able to address what you have done with honesty, not gaslighting people in the way that that I feel that Jason Aldean and his team did, but in the way that Morgan Wallen did and saying, hey, yeah, I did the stupid thing. It's very obvious what I did or what I said. I'm sorry. Please give me a chance to make this up. I will do better in the future. And if people don't accept that from you, then that's on them. But at least for those of us who are justice minded, we can feel a little bit better about seeing someone like Morgan Wallen's career be redeemed after a scandal if we know that the contrition is there, if we know that the admission of wrongdoing is there. Now, y'all should know by now, I don't like to raise these issues without talking about solutions. What are some ways that we can move beyond cancel culture to something that feels more productive for us as a society? So what does the pathway look like out of cancel culture? It starts with contrition and admission of guilt and genuine sorrow for what you've done. Then we move on to repentance, stating out loud to the people to whom you have created the offense. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done what I did. It was wrong. Will you forgive me? Repentance. Then atonement. Investing in the community that you have wronged. Taking some action to say, I want things to be different for you. In other words, putting your money where your mouth is. If you're not someone who regularly spews the N-word, then what is your M.O.? 
What is your stance towards the black community? What have you materially done to show your support for black people beyond words? And what does that look like? Investing in the black community in some shape or form? Tutoring underprivileged kids, making a donation to a rec center, something like that? Helping a promising young black student get through their first year of college? That's what atonement looks like in that case. And only then should we be able to move to the final stage of redemption. Your career to some degree has been restored, has been rehabilitated. Maybe some of the folks who thought ill of you before have a changed impression of who you are in the world. You're able to make money again. Maybe any reputational losses that you've suffered have been minimized. But that's the process in my opinion, contrition, repentance, atonement, then redemption. And too often we wanna skip straight to redemption. What's the big deal? You didn't see what you saw. You didn't hear what you heard. Just let it go. Give me my career back. And I think if a lot of folks really felt that the person experiencing so-called cancellation was willing to walk through these steps to restore their public image, people would be a lot more willing to forgive. And maybe cancel culture would not exist in the way that it does. But if we're not willing to go through these steps to restore public trust, let's not be surprised that cancel culture exists. Well, that's all I have for you today. I'm Dara Star Tucker, Dara with one R, Star with two. You can find me on all social media platforms under that name. On Instagram, I'm Dara Tucker B. You can also find me in the comments section on KJLH's Instagram page. That's Radio Free KJLH on Instagram. Find me there. Let's continue this conversation. Let me know what your thoughts are. I want to talk to you about it. Download the app if you prefer to listen that way. And we'll continue to have conversations about the things that matter. This has been The Breakdown. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I'm looking forward to doing this next week. Same time, same place. You all take care of yourself. I will see you next week. And until then, let's learn to shout.